do, because we know that you are the chain breaker. Every one of us here today, uh, we've known that when we come to know you, I can remember, and it's a testament to so many people I talk to, you set us free. You set us free of some things, and yet, as we continue to walk with you, sometimes there was something that just, we had a tough, tough time breaking. And I know there would be the testimony of myself and other people here that eventually you helped us. And today, Lord, I want to, with your help, speak to people today, Christians here today, that have that besetting sin, that, that disobedience that they want to get rid of, and they're just saying, Lord Jesus, could you help me? And so today, you will. And if we listen and we obey, you will help, you will guide and direct us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. Happy Groundhog Day. I just found it just the perfect opportunity to be able to get a message together that has to do with, you know, Groundhog Day and something that keeps reoccurring in our hearts and in our lives. So I got two trivia questions. So I'm going to let you, I'm just going to play just a little clip from the trailer uh, of the movie. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you're probably better off that you haven't. So um, just uh, take a look at this with us and then, uh, then we'll carry on. Ever. Now here's the whole premise of the movie is he's got to live it over and over again until he learns what he needs to learn, until he changes. And that's kind of what I would like to talk to you about today. If you take a look in your notes, I have at the top of your notes there a reoccurring situation. Now, a reoccurring situation can be something as harmless as the alarm does go off every day and you got to get up and you got to go to work. It's reoccurring, ongoing, on and on. Could be some chores that you have, cutting the grass in the, in the summertime, shoveling in the wintertime. Shoveling is very important to us here, as you will hear today. And it could be something that's just, you know, ongoing, something that's just there and it's just you know, kind of harmless. But then there can be those choices, those reoccurring situations that happen to us because of choices we've made. It can be a besetting sin. It can be something that leads to an evil lifestyle. It can be an addiction. It can be a lot of different things. But what happens to Christians when they continue to do something that they know is sin and or wrong, and they just live on and on and on with it. Is it possible that living in the sin day after day, somehow or another, we've believed some of the lies that have been taught to us? That that's just the way it's going to be? That no matter what it is, you know, you're doing really good in 90% of the area, you just, you know, that's just the way it's going to be. Have we become numb to something that we continue to say, well, it's just my besetting sin? You know, there was a guy pretty popular in the Bible. His name was David. He, he committed adultery and murder and was so numb to the fact that who he was and what he was that he didn't even realize it until Nathan the prophet came and showed him. He didn't even realize it. Is it possible that Christians have become numb for whatever reason? Not realizing possibly the danger that we might be in. Last week, we looked at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Today, I just want the two verses that followed the 11th chapter, which talked about all of these faithful men and women. And it, dry, and it describes this picture here, Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2a. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Let's not stop. Let's, not, you know, let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's throw off the sin. Let's get, keep the race going. It's marked out for us. 
Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. There's two words I'd like to take a look in that section there so you kind of get a picture of it. The first one, if uh, you could put that up for me here, it's the word cloud. It, It comes from the word a large, dense multitude. When you look up into the sky at night and it looks like there's like almost cloudy over there because there's a bunch of stars that are grouped together, it's a cloud. The passage of Scripture says there's a cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Therefore, let us throw off every... We have a cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, showing us how we are to live. And the other word is the word entangled, if you could pop that up there for me. You know, just entangled. Uh, The word means skillfully surrounded. It isn't sometimes that sin and Satan doesn't do this kind of halfway. He's skillfully winding us up, entangling us, in our sin. And the passage says, get it off. Get untangled. I have in your notes that a question I ask myself. Folks, I'm going to talk to you today, not from a place of somebody who doesn't know. I know what this is about. I know what this is. I know what it is. I've gone through myself. I want to share with you today, so how, do you, how do we get set free? How do we get set free from something? And the question I have to ask myself that I ask you, how bad do I want it? I mean, how bad do I want it? I'm not asking you if you've cried and wept over that besetting sin. That's not what I'm asking because that's not necessarily the show of how bad I want it. Do I want to live with sin in my life? Do I want to live with disobedience? And do I want to live with being separated from God? It may just possibly be that the reason you feel distant and that you don't know why, it may be this today. May or may not be. So number one in your notes, I'm going to give you four steps that have to work together. The first one, as a Christian, is the power of God's Word. What does the Bible say about lying? What does it say about cheating? What does it say about rage, my anger, sexual sin? What does the Bible say about it? But ultimately, let's just go right to this whole thought of sin. In 1 John, it says, My dear children, I write. What is the reason the Bible was written in this section? I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, do you know out of those two sentences what most Christians focus on? They focus on the second sentence because everybody says i'm going to sin and that's not what the if you know anything about systematic theology the first most important most powerful teaching is almost always first the rest tags on along the question is uh do i believe that this was written so that i will not sin and that's where it goes to everybody this disobedience and sin is known sin. Not, not something that you may be ignorant of, something that you know that you are doing. I mean, I ask myself the question, as I want you to, you know, which sentence do I focus on? Which sentence? Are we, are we going to just focus on the second one because we are going to sin? Do you ever remember an encounter that Jesus left somebody saying, yeah, it's all right if you continue on sin. My grace will cover it. But that is a teaching In Christianity, it's a teaching in books. It's a teaching on radio. Let me give you a quote. I'm not going to tell you who it is. It's a pretty famous guy. This is the theology that is out there that I want you to make sure that you are not bound by and listen to. Christians, quote, Christians are not better than non-Christians. They are just better off. They are like two men in a plane. 
one who is wearing a parachute and one who is not. Both men have to jump. The man wearing the parachute isn't better than the other man, but he is certainly better off. Christianity is not about being good. It's about wearing a parachute, unquote. Christianity is not about being righteous and blameless and sinless. That's exactly what this is. This guy's out on the street evangelizing, telling people, you know, I'm just like you except I got Jesus. Nothing else has changed. He's a sinner. He's a liar. He cheats because the only difference is he's got a parachute. Please do not listen to this theology. My concern is it will take people unto eternity lost because they listened to something that was inaccurate. I have in your notes the 1 John 3. And here's the definition, verse 4, of what sin is. Everyone who sins breaks the law. You could say God's law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. You think, oh, there's a lot of lawless people out there. Well, I only tell a lie at work because it really helps me promote my business. It helps keep the bottom line above. Verse 5, but you know that he... Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin which gives him the power to take away our sins. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now how does that fly in the face of the guy that I just quoted? Folks, it's time to shoot for perfection. Knowing that there's a possibility you're not going to get there, but what else are you going to shoot for? Mediocrity? Disconnection from God? This is the power of God's word. It teaches us that sin is not to be ongoing. It's not to be part of the Christian life. So whatever the Holy... And I've been praying for you. and for Whatever the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart today, whatever the Spirit of God is speaking to you about, about your sin, and I hope that there's people here, you know, there's really nothing I can think of, and that's good, as long as you're open to it. Whatever it is, find at least two passages of Scripture. God's Word, the power of God's Word. Find two passages of Scripture that deal with your sexual sin or deal with your lying or your cheating or your rage because this is how I, learning from others, have applied God's Word. Sometimes I've just had to just basically put it there and focus on it rather than anything else. I've talked to somebody this past week, and I was giving a little heads up where I was going today, and I, I wrote down what they said. Here's a quote. This is somebody I believe is much more in tune with the Scriptures than the theologian who I quoted. Quotes, they said, I never found a passage of Scripture to help me with my sin until I got serious about it. Isn't that interesting? You know? Well, half-baked. About That's why I ask you today, because I, I know I ask myself, Times and how serious are you? See, God's word is only powerful over sin when it is applied. And if you need help finding a couple passages of scripture for whatever it is, I'm available. Use a concordance. Find something. Number two, then, is it's the power of my will. How bad do we want it? Well, there's the power of God's word, but then there's the power of my will right? Uh, there are Christian songwriters out there that just frustrate the gizzards out of me. Please. Do you know why some of the great hymns are great? Because theologians like Charles Wesley wrote hymns. Now we got a bunch of mamby-pamby artists, and I'm not against artists, Candy. Trust me. I, I love art. I love it. But then they don't have a clue 
I was listening to a quote uh, by, uh, I got it written down here. You guys all know who it is, I'm sure. Uh, Danny Gokey, right? Uh, he used to be a, a worship leader. I think he was on American Idol, and this, that, the other. He basically was saying to people, you know, right where you're at, no matter what it is that you're doing, God's okay with it right there. God understands. And he gave all one half of everything, just leaving them, allowing them to just be disobedient. And I'm like, where's the other half? Where all of that can be forgiven, all of that can be changed. It's like, please, be careful of the Christian music you're listening to. Not many of them are theologians. That's one thing I do appreciate about Candy Porostowski. Candy knows the Word of God. Candy will answer situations and problems and everything with the Word of God. The power of my will. So I ask myself the question, I ask you, how bad inside do I want it? That's ultimately the question. How bad do I want to be set free from that sin? I'll say this again. I'm not asking you if you've wept or cried over it. Don't tell me that that's the measure of it. All that is a measurement of your heart. Maybe it made you sad. Maybe it breaks your heart. Maybe it's frustrating. I get it. But that does not measure how bad I want it. I'll give you something that the Lord gave me. I was working with somebody, and I was working with a guy, and he had a besetting sin. He had something to continue on. It doesn't matter what it is, because I don't want to say it because it's different than yours, whatever it might be for you or for me. And this guy had biceps almost as big as mine. <laughs> almost as big as my thighs is what I meant to say. I mean, his, 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 in the back and in the front and his forearms and everything, and he had, he had biceps. And so I gave him the bicep test, and I said, did you pray for those biceps? Did you just pray, and when Jesus didn't give them to you, did you weep and wail about it? No. You put your effort into it. You put tremendous effort into it. You put your will into it. You formulated your biceps by your will. And look at everybody else around here. They look like Popeye or olive oil, whichever one, you know. (laughs) And so I said, until you care about your will enough to put the effort into your besetting sin, you'll have nice biceps but be separated from Christ. And as best I know, he he chose biceps. The power of your will. Folks, there's probably some area in your life that your will is very strong. No doubt about it. It may be you're coming home from work and you're tired and you really don't want to work out, but your will says you got to work out anyway. It may be that you're a runner and you're going to go out and you're going to go running and you run outside and it's like cold and all kinds of people say, wow, I got an excuse not to run because it's cold outside. But no, your will pushes you past it. Whatever it might be, you eat right, whatever it is, your will is very strong in one area and it can be in the area of Your besetting sin. Jesus knows when I am serious. He knows when we're serious. God will not work against my will. He will not work against my mamby-pamby will when I kind of half care about it, but maybe a little bit I'm kind of really kind of liking my sin. Everybody here, you, you know what a swear jar is? Oh, you've had one, I guess, huh? You know, whenever you say a swear word, you throw a quarter in. But if you got any kind of money and you feel angry, you throw a buck in there and drop four swear words. I could, you know, it cost me a buck. Felt good. But you know, then there comes a time when somebody says, you know what? Uh, it's now going to be five bucks per swear word since you, oh, now it's going to be 10 bucks 
curse where. And it gets to the place where it costs. It costs us. And then we say, you know, I, I think I'm going to get serious about this. It's amazing how many times a swear jar has helped people stop swearing. The question is, at what point will I pay the price? My sins, you think it's only costing you a quarter? It's costing you much more than that, much more than five or ten bucks. Our will is powerful in many areas of our lives. Now we have to use it against that reoccurring groundhog sin. Number three, the power of love. And folks, remember once again, these are things that I have learned. I am not picking anybody else here. I'm telling you, I've been at the altar for this. I'm gonna, we're going to have time at the altar today for those who just love Jesus and they just said, I, I want to deal with this one thing. I, we're going to deal with it today. Here's the power of love, right? If somebody walks around a house hoping to look inside somebody's windows to catch them having sex, what is that? Peeping Tom? Breaking the law? That's kind of creepy. Except on our phones, men and women peek through the window of pornography. On our laptops, our computers, we're pulling it aside, and we're peeking and we're walking in. That doesn't seem to be so creepy. But it is. It's the exact same thing. And somebody said this to me, you know, in regards to love. They said, you know, if your grandmother was standing there watching you, I actually overheard this with some, if your grandmother was over, watching you standing over your shoulder, would you be able to resist looking at pornography? Of course. My grandma hit me on the head. And probably hit me sideways. Why? Because the presence of Jesus, sometimes we push it aside. And so while my grandma can be standing right there, or your uncle or your aunt or your husband or your wife, where's the presence of Jesus? And this is something I've been meditating on and learning about. You know, what is it that I love more, my sin or my Savior? How can I love Jesus so much that I sense his presence even when I'm being tempted? That's the question, and that's where we have to get to today. We've got to get to the place where we're in the presence of the Lord so that his spirit is there, his love is there, and it overcomes our temptation. Now, when it gets to this place, we've kind of asked the correct question, you know, what do I love more? Our actions show. Are we willing to go after it? That's the question today. Grandpa, grandma, whoever it might be, you know, you, you get one of those guys and they're, they're old and they're crabby and they, they, love their to, they love their tobacco and I'm not picking on people that smoke, but I'm just saying, you know, there's this, he, he won't give it up for him. He says, it's the one thing I enjoy and he does it and he, he chews or whatever it might be until his granddaughter sits on his lap and says, Grandpa, you stink. You smell like a fire. Would you please quit smoking for me? And not another person in the world could get through to Grandpa except her. Love. Love. I'm talking about the love of Jesus, knowing it, sensing it in his presence. 
This is our desire to walk in His love, in His presence. When we do that, if we can do that, it will overcome that temptation when it comes. And you start to overcome that temptation, you are going to feel amazing. You're going to be like, thank you, Lord. You're going to feel uh, His presence and with you. So learn to get into God's loving presence every day and love of Jesus will set you free. Number one, there's the power of God's word. There's the power of my will. God will not work in opposition to my will. And then there's the power of love. And then lastly, there's the power of prayer and fasting. I say this to you again, all of these together. The power of prayer and fasting. And somebody will say, but I have prayed about it. And trust me, that's my testimony too. I prayed about it, I prayed about it. But the Bible talks about something called fervent prayer. Sometimes our prayers flip it. We spend five minutes on it. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. And shoot, we'd rather spend three hours watching the Super Bowl than get set free from our sin. Three hours with Jesus to get set free from our sin. But the power of prayer and fasting. Uh, What type of effort am I putting in to talking to Jesus about wanting to be set free? I had this thought... uh, because this is something that I have done. You know, there's some people here today you need to give up your devotional life. You have this devotional every day. You read about somebody, you read about something, you learn all these things. But you ought to give up your devotional life and make your devotional life your time of prayer about your besetting sin until you're set free. Does it really matter how much more I learn if I'm continuing to fall into this sin? Go after it. Show God you're serious through prayer and fasting. Am I willing to go beyond praying and to fast to break that chain of bondage? He's a chain breaker. And we've seen it so many different times. But even Jesus said, this type of demonic effort only comes out with prayer and fasting. Isaiah 58 verse 5 is the wrong way to fast. Just so you know. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. There's a very religious, nice-looking way, and that's verse 5. He says, God asked the question of Israel, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? It's like everything is on the outside. It's like everything, oh, this is what we're doing. We're, we're looking bad and we're, we're fasting and everybody knows we're fasting. By the way, this is something we've talked about a couple years ago. We're going to talk about this again this year. Verse 6, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice? When is the last time we fasted about a situation in our country, in our neighborhood, whatever, about injustice? Uh, Is it only, uh, let's see, uh, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke? The other word was entangled. Here's to untie. That's what fasting does. A time when we go without something that we really want and desire to show God we're serious and then let him speak to us. It gets our focus more than anything on that. We get to hear from him. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Now, you all know what a yoke is. This isn't the yoke of an egg. This is a thick piece of wood, a thick piece of wood that goes around two powerful oxen, and they can't break it. 
And yet he says a fast can break even that yoke. You may think here today, no chance I'm going to be free of that. Picture is, this is something that not even two strong oxen can do, but yet God's prayer and God's movement and fasting can. Uh, uh, six, seven, eight months ago on Wednesday's Bible study, I had somebody come up to me and they were really had a heart for somebody in their family. They were in a situation, this a tough situation. I talked to them about fasting. And the next time they came and they want a little bit more information, what are they doing? And so they were fa- And so little did I know this past... Wednesday, they came up to me and said, you know, I've been praying and fasting for so-and-so, and you would not believe what has been happening. And they told me this good news, and they told me this good news, and they told me this good news. And I had forgot that I even told me. You know, sometimes you talk about it, and nobody takes you serious. Then you get some crazy Christian who takes it serious, and God moves. Prayer and fasting. It's like a, a double-barrel shotgun. Got one on each side. Are you waking up day after day and it's Groundhog Day and you want to be set free? Satan would love for you to feel embarrassed. That's what he wanted to do with Adam and Eve. I don't want to go to the altar. Man, other people will see it. Well, shoot, I've been there. I've been there. In your notes, I have just one thing, you know. It's kind of like some people say, well, you know, I have a golf game, but there's only one thing I don't do really well. I I drive the ball wonderful. There's only one thing I don't do well in my golf game, and that's putt. You know, I get on the green, and it takes me 20 shots to get it in the hole. I think sometimes that's what Christians think. I got got a great Christian life. Everything's going good. I just got this one thing. It's just gossip. It's just lying at work. It's rage. I get really mad at or angry at my wife. I let her know that I'm the boss. It's just one swear word. It's just one swear word. It's just one thing. Other than that, I'm doing pretty good. I hope that you hear the heart that I have today. In essence, this is something that I've learned with you. I mean, what if Christians are living with just one rebellious sin day after day and don't realize that's why they're separated from God? That's why they don't sense his presence? That's why he doesn't answer their prayer? What if that's you? What if Christians who think they are spiritually safe really are not eternally secure? Somehow they bought into a lie. And we all sit around thinking, well, God will understand. Well, no, God says it's here in my word. Sin separates us from a holy God who is sinless. What if the fear of the Lord is not present in my life anymore? That I never think, man, am I right with God? That I never talk to myself and ask myself the question, if I die today, am I going into eternity with Jesus? That's what the fear of the Lord does. It keeps us in line and check that for the asterisks in your notes, you know it was coming. It's for me, it's for you. It's time to go after that sin and be set free. Whatever that sin is to you, have you been deceived by the father of lies? That's what he does. How uh, you live in your life says who your father is. If I'm living according to the lies. Now look at this passage of Scripture that Jesus has this conversation. He's talking to a bunch of people who think that they are entitled. No, I'm not talking about millennials. I'm not picking on them. I'm picking on us. I'm picking on Christians. He's talking to them. He's talking to them about you think you're Jews. You know what he's saying? There are Christians who think, I've been saved. I'm born again. I'm, I'm one of Abraham's. 
Listen to his conversation. Jesus replies to them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now you have sin, and those who sin are slaves. And he goes on to say, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And you got a slave, and you got a son. And a slave cannot be a son if they're connected and addicted to sin. So if the son, he's the one who can say, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That passage of scripture talks about being set free from living a life of sin. I know, he says, that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. And that's what they were doing, because you have no room for my words. And the words that I speak to you today, lots of times people don't have any, any room for. Matter of fact, there may be some people here today that they'll never come back. Oh, they talk about sin. Yeah, we talk about sin. We deal with sin. It separates us. And here these people are thinking that they're Abraham's descendants. Is it possible we become a little like David, a little numb, a little bit nonchalant in regard? I just have one. It's just that one thing. Well, guess what? What I've discovered as soon as I've dealt with something, God is so good (laughs) that he only deals with one or two at a time. And then when I've been set free of that, he'll show me something else. And sometimes it's an attitude, something you never would have thought, something you think, well, that's a little bit petty, but get it under control. Verse 38, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. I don't want that to be, you know, when he said your Father, he's talking about the Father of lies. He's talking about Satan. You're doing what the Father of lies told you and lied to you about. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit before they were banished from paradise? One. Did God really expect them to not eat from the tree as tempting as it was? Yes. He really did expect them. He had provided every good thing that they needed to eat and to enjoy And they wanted the one thing, one sin. And now God has gone beyond what Adam and Eve had. He's provided Jesus Christ. He's provided his blood on the cross, his power, prayer. He says, I'm going to go intercede for you. Whatever you ask, ask in my name, and it will be given to you. Was he really going to separate them? Well, we have the testimony of it. I was going to ask the worship team to come and help us close today with a time at the altar. Oh, oh, come to the altar. You know, Groundhog Day, right? If he sees his shadow, I always get this wrong. If he sees his shadow, six months more? Or six months, six six weeks less. The guy comes out and sees it. You know, on all honesty, I trust him more than I do. Any weatherman that's paid on NBC, ABC, CBS, whatever. I trust the rat. But he comes out and he sees his shadow. And as I think about myself and I think about my journey, and I think about being your pastor, what I have learned, I pass on to you. So yeah, you can know there's been things I've dealt with. Yeah. And I, I love Isaiah because he's not afraid to tell people he needed to personally repent. I love Nehemiah because it encouraged me, Evan, if you need to repent, do it publicly. He did. He says, I'm repenting. We have disobeyed you. 
so I say to each and every one of us here today, your life casts a shadow, not like the groundhog. It casts a shadow about who you really are, who I really am. Others may see this, but the shadow that is cast is a reality of what God can see in and through us. I'm going to open the altar here, give you an opportunity to come and spend some time in prayer. Whatever the Jesus has laid on your heart, just love him. Let him love you. Let it be set free today. Don't give Satan another victory. But at the bottom of your notes, I did a little bit of a recap so that you can go away from here today knowing the four things that you need to do. I did them practically. Put them somewhere, putting them around that besetting sin, whatever that might be. Could you stand with me today? And as you just sing with us today, and as the Lord leads you, you just come spend a little bit of time with him at the altar. I'm just praying he will love you. He will begin the process of setting you free because whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed.